Welcome back to the Growing Lean podcast, sponsored by Lean Discovery Group. This is your host, Dylan Burke, also known as Deej. I'm happy to be here with John Ellis, co-founder of BEV Everything and founder of the Automotive Advisor Team. Welcome, John. Thank you, Deej. It's nice to be here. Amazing. So to get us started, can you give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today in terms of your businesses? Yeah, certainly. So uh, I'm an uh, economist by education. Doesn't mean a lot, but it's kind of the way I think, right? I studied international economics and finance. So actually, I I use a lot of that in this current automotive market because there's so much leverage with our international climate and the economies that we uh, have in our situations today. So about 20 years ago, I jumped in this industry. I'm 55, so I've been in other industries too. But I joined the automotive industry and fell in love with it. Um, Started at the ground floor, selling cars, working for some of the largest vendors in North America in almost every area of automotive. So inventory, marketing, digital marketing, uh, strategy, product development, even as of the last few years, electric vehicles. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that today. So through all of that evolution of automotive, uh, working with OEMs as well, like Gulf States, Toyota, um, I've learned the business inside and out, not only as an operator, but from the outside looking in as a consultant. So about five years ago, I started a couple of different companies. One is the automotive advisor team, uh, which is what you know is that today, which is a consultancy of all retail operations. So new car, used car, fixed operations, finance. And it's not just mine. We have a, I, it's my company, but I have a team of uh, principled consultants on in that organization that have areas of expertise that really uh, incubate a dealer and give them help wherever they need. And they're the best of the best. And then about two years ago, I started a company called BEV Everything. So battery electric vehicle, BEV, and then everything. It's everything we do. So we don't focus on fuel cell, hydrogen vehicles. We don't focus on plug-in hybrids. We're really trying to get our dealers ready for the battery electric vehicles that will be coming in in more than 7.5% adoption in the next 10 years. And so we focus strictly on training, coaching, developing in the operational sense. So that's really taken off uh, in the last year, uh, leaps and bounds. So we're putting arms around it, trying to build a team around it, technology around it so that we can help uh, support them when we're not available and and face-to-face. It's been a lot of fun, but it's taken me to the point today where these are all I do. So these are the two companies I founded and they're what I focus on every day. Amazing. Awesome. And for the automotive advisor team, do you do you advise on the entire process for dealers or do you focus on like sales, for example? Or Yeah, great question. So I in, inside of that company, we have cons, uh, consultancy. So my company is in there called Double E Consulting, and I do advise on retail operations, but on the variable side. So the, the selling side of new and used cars, how to run the departments most efficiently, sell the most cars at the least amount of expense and um, as quickly as possible. Those are some of the key points in our industry. But I do have people in the fixed operation side and in uh, vendor analytics side. So if I have a vendor uh, relationship that the dealer's really not sure the value of that relationship, this part, these people will come in and analyze how well you're using the product, if the product's meeting its needs. And that's a really good uh, need in the industry. Then I've got a, a Cage Automotive is inside of there, and they study um, CRMs and, and and BDCs, business development centers, and really you know 
determine the most efficient way to run yours if it's not and uh, help you get better at your craft. And of course, the service side of the business, I mentioned fixed stops and finance. Those are keys and we have great people in there. But finally, we have training folks, right? People that train in general uh, automotive training. So employee development, hiring employees, finding good technicians, finding good salespeople and leaders and managers. We have a, a recruiting arm in there as a consultancy. So none of those folks work for me. They're just certified consultants under the automotive team umbrella. It's kind of like a Charles Schwab. You have all these independent agents under Charles Schwab's umbrella. It's the same thing. Automotive advisor team is built that way. Okay, amazing. And which which is your main business in terms of uh, your bread and butter? So right now it is a double E consulting company. I've got a handful of clients that I, I really manage their used car operations, buying, selling, and, and, um, and trading inventory so that they can have the best inventory on the lot in the right amount of volume and then sell it effectively to make their profit and then do it again next month. And that's a lot it sounds simple, but it's not with this market. It's so volatile. So being an economist, I, uh, I'm, I'm on a, a few different podcasts and morning shows where I update the industry on what we, what the outlook looks like as far as fiscal, the UAW strike, all the things that you know, we have predictors to help forecast the next two weeks to two months. And so I help with that a lot in my consulting. I do it for free on other platforms I just mentioned. And then I get really down into the strategic operational running of their business. And so they pay me for that on a monthly basis. And we do, and they do very well. So that's my bread and butter while I'm building the BEV everything, uh, the electric vehicle side of our business. Okay, amazing. I love that. And can we talk more about uh, electric vehicles? You You mentioned forecasting and I'd love you. I'd love to hear your forecast of the next couple of years in terms of electric vehicles, because they've become super popular over the last few years um, with all the new technology. And at our current point in this pivot of technological evolution with the assistance of artificial intelligence, I'm sure the technology is going to get way better and extremely fast. So what's your prediction or electric vehicles over the, and we can talk about autonomous vehicles if that's a thing too for you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I just wrote an article about this. Your folks can find it at the automotiveadvisorteam.com and there's an article library. Um, I have a, 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 quite a few EV articles in there. And the last one was I, I wrote about AI, but we'll start with forecast. So we know we're at like seven and a half percent as of the end of Q2 in adoption in North America. Now, globally, uh, China and, and Europe has a much better adoption numbers. Europe matches California, you know, almost in the 20 percentile plus. Um, but for the United States, we only had the uh, West Coast and the Northeast that really have embraced EVs uh, in that form and fashion. And a lot of that has to do with the local governing bodies and how they support the market. Right. But at the end of the day, um, we've had a couple, we've had a bifurcated situation that happened. So all the traditional OEMs have said, hey, I'm in, I'm in the game. I'm going to go work with battery manufacturers. I'm going to start building more EVs and, and than I thought I was last year. The market's strong. And it's all because Tesla's proven that there's a market there for it. And so they want a piece of that pie. And I've written about this a few times in there as well. What's happened is we've, we've, we've seen ourselves hit kind of a, a slowing or a bottleneck for these traditional OEMs in the fact that they built, they used the cart before the horse theory and how they wanted to go to market. So they started producing and producing vehicles, but they forgot 
that what Tesla did first was build an infrastructure for their users to enjoy the vehicle they just bought and be able to have that and build a lifestyle around an electric vehicle. And that's why you've seen Ford and GM and Stellantis and Porsche and all them kind of go, okay, I'm in in, in you know North American charging standard, NACS. I'm in. I'm on Tesla standard now. I want a relationship with Tesla. They have all the charging network setups that my customers want. So they really kind of shot themselves in the foot by not building relationships with, you know, a hotel chains, even like Exxon and Shell, putting chargers and gas stations off in the corner just to really build the infrastructure out, which they're doing now to uh, to increase the adoption. So because of that, the adoption hasn't um it hasn't uh, halted. It's just slowed a little bit. It'll, it's starting to pick back up. And what the projections are, as we know, by 2030, right, which is only, what, six and a half years away, they're expecting that we're going to be above 10%, maybe 15%, possibly 20 But I think this last few months, we've seen that inventory day supply, which is the amount of inventory but on the day supply of inventory in a dealer's lot for EVs is about 100 and typically for a used car, it's about 42. For a new car, it's about 60. So we're getting a little overstocked. And the good news is it's bringing the price down and it's making it more affordable, which would help adoption. But again, we have to have the infrastructure. I think all of that put together, I think by 2020, if a dealer's not all in, they're, they're, they're going to be in trouble. And that's only a few six and a half years away. So what we're doing now is saying, build the infrastructure on your dealer lot, train your people, Start bringing in some of those used EVs since your new EVs are trickling in. Let's really let's really show the market that you are EV ready and you're the the, the experience center they need when they're ready to learn more. Hundred um, percent. I think I actually I'm not sure it was it your post I saw on LinkedIn showing that um, the price of used EVs is currently higher than new ones. I saw a post on LinkedIn. That was you, right? It has it ha it has happened. I probably had there's many, um, and I can say I've had one. the 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 reason that's a thing today, and it's what the traditional OEMs are really struggling with now, and, and no, to no fault of their own, they have been so successful in ICE engines, right, in the gasoline and diesel engines, and they built their manufacturing and supply chains around that success. Moving into EV, they've had to morph. They've had to adjust, build new supply chain uh, relationships, modify manufacturing facilities for e automation and more EV production, which is a lot different. You heard Toyota call the Model X a, a work of art. They had never seen anything like it. And so there's advantage to the non-traditional OEMs like Tesla and Rivian and Lucid and the like that their manufacturing facilities were completely built around EV automation and AI which makes it easier to build, faster, cheaper, which is why you see when Tesla brings their price of, uh, to market down 20%, they're still highly profitable. And an OEM and a traditional can't do that. They're, they're, they're because they're still working through those efficiency models to get to a true EV vehicle. So at the end of the day, um, you know, the price drop has made used vehicles. So if I can buy a new vehicle for 25% more than last week, and, I, and the auction sold that used vehicle for that price or higher a week before, yeah, you've got a problem. You've got a used vehicle now that I paid for as a dealer for $35,000, and I can buy a brand new one for $35,000 because Elon just dropped the price by fifteen or twenty grand. You see what I'm saying? And so that it's a situation. Here's the, here's the win. Here's, I want all your viewers to think about this and get excited. An EV has 20 moving parts. 
an ice engine has 2000 plus and look we're going to get we can we can bicker between 10 or 20 more parts but at the end of the day that ratio the mechanical wear and tear and durability of an ice engine loses value faster than an EV and in leasing companies commercials residual companies are figuring out i've got to change my uh my valuation schedules over time because an EV with 100,000 miles is a lot more valuable than an ice engine with 100,000 miles so your long-term residual value on a car that may have lost some value today, I'm driving my Tesla in the driveway and it went, it's dropped $8,000 in value since Elon's done his, what he's done the last six months. So I lost eight grand, but at the end, when I'm ready to sell it in five more years, it's going to be in so much better shape than its counterpart in the ice engine because the battery lasts hundred to 300,000 miles plus, and the vehicle only has 20 parts at age, not 2,200 parts, right? So you've got a real durable, reliable vehicle for trade-in. And that's where we're going to get our value back, right? So don't panic. It's like stock. When it starts <laughs> dropping, it's an EV. Just wait it out and it'll come back. It's tough to do, though. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the catbird seat uh, because of my knowledge, but I'm also in everyone else's position because I lost all that value in my car, too. <laughs> what, what car are you driving? I drive a Model 3. I've had a Model S for nine years, so I've got a Model 3 now, and I love it. You know, it's actually got more legroom and headroom than the Model S, but it has less trunk and trunk space. That's the difference. Okay, amazing. I love that. And yeah, yeah that that those stats you were saying about the lifespan of EVs, it's that's crazy to me because we don't have those. We don't have electric vehicles in South Africa. Uh, we just don't have the infrastructure to support it. Um, mm -hmm. We, bit, we don't even have electricity for the whole country, <laughs> which is wild. Um, so I, I don't expect yeah. them to come here anytime soon, but it, it's it's amazing the adoption rate and the technolo technological differences um, compared to normal cars. It's it's That blows my mind. That a, one battery can last 300,000 miles. That's that's nuts. <laughs> I mean, you know, the technology, we, you know, I've studied architecture and chemistry for batteries for a few years now. Because I know that that's where the advancements in range, durability, reliability, and of course, price considerations are going to come from. If we can get the battery smaller using less minerals, but it'll still go a good distance in range, we're going to get that car cheaper, right? And plus, so in studying that, you know, things like cell to pack and, um, you know, uh, they're talking about solid state, which Toyota is really investing in. It's not ready for vehicles yet. We use it in small electronics today. Uh, those things will make huge advancements. And then we're talking the million mile battery. And with a million mile battery, you know, it outlives the chassis, right? So the, the batteries are not going to be the problem, right? And it, the car is going to hold its value for a long time. Like I said, our Model S is nine years old. It's only got a little shy of 100,000 miles. But it's got like an 89% state of health. It's only degraded like 11% in almost 10 years. And again, in the 80-20 rule, we don't charge it above 90 anyway. And we don't let it deplete more than 10% anyway. That's your 80-20 is 80%, 20% is where you really want to keep your car. And so look, I've got a lot. We, you know, there's no range loss. You know, sometimes we'll go 95. We've got a long drive to the next station and we need to be careful, but very rarely. So I've, I've got to still have a brand new car that's nine years old and you should see it. Software every month, new, I, I, you know, new features on it, autonomy, you know, all these uh, suspension features you can change around. I mean, I don't have a nine year old car. I've got a very cool Tesla that's got a battery that's brand new. This, like I said, is going to be worth a ton of money in another five years. That's amazing. That completely blows my mind because we just have nothing like that out here. Um, yeah. It, it's amazing. Um, but I, 
I want to just jump back to the business side of things quickly. Um, yeah. I want to, because it's like an ever-changing and advancing industry, what challenge or challenges or obstacles have you faced specifically um, during your business, uh, during the start of your business, um, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, so a lot of the challenges I've faced, I'm still facing. It's, you know, they say, you know, it's the tortoise and the hare, right? It's like you have to be consistent. Slow and steady runs the race. If you get too excited or if you get too discouraged. So uh, the challenges for the electric vehicle side of the business are simply that most people don't know or understand the technology or, you know, the application or the reliability. So they're fearful. And I'm talking even the people that sell them, not just the people that are thinking about buying them. There's many people that hate them as that love them because they're. we mentioned earlier, we're not going to talk politics, but they can be they feel political in nature sometimes. You know, it's like, how do you inject the car into policy? I don't know political policy, but they they do. And so at the end of the day, if, if you what I try to do is work through the logic of it. Right. It's like. In my lifetime at 55, gasoline cars are not going away. I mean, I've got a, I've got two in the driveway and we have two electric cars. But um, I think people get fearful that we're forcing them out of their own their what their comfort zone. So that's not that's not what's going to happen. You're going to have a choice. But it, it, the second part of it is the efficiency model of the use of energy in electric vehicle mobility is seven times greater than a gasoline engine because the gasoline has to combust in the car. And when it combusts to create the energy that drives the powertrain that gets you moving in a car, you lose 70% of that energy in that combustion process. It doesn't happen in a battery. The battery goes straight to the drive motor. So if I have if, if I have 100 gallons of fossil fuel, Okay, and and I need the fossil fuel to do the power plant or the fossil fuel to go to the gas station. My electric car only uses 30 percent of it. The the gasoline car needs all 100 percent of it. It needs a whole whole gallon, a whole hundred gallons. Right. So I can do it three and a half times with my car. They can only do it once. So that's the efficiency model of the of the use of energy. And that's our future, not only for the environment. And, you know, I know that's important to a lot of people, but also for our national sovereignty, for our ability to be energy independent, for our economy to be robust. So, you know, you talk to both sides of the you can you, it actually satisfies everybody, the fiscal conservative and, and the, you know, less fiscal, more liberal uh, conservationist. I mean, it's like a win win for both. So I'm just trying to figure out that's a challenge for me because when I go to dealers, you know, they're not ready. You know, the others are like, oh, we got to do it all tomorrow. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, let's, let's meet in the middle. We don't have to do it all tomorrow and mandate everything in evolution, capital markets. You know, logic will prevail. So holding the holding the weight, the scales of that balance is probably the biggest challenge in starting in this industry so early. I'm either the evil person or I'm not doing it fast enough. You know, it's just, you know, I'm in a place where it's very controversial, as you can imagine. That's that's crazy to think about. But I, I love how you phrase that. That it made a lot of sense. I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see where it comes, uh, what the future holds. Um, Me and too. Then, I'd also, I wanted, can you speak of any metrics or KPIs that you use to measure the success of your businesses? Absolutely. So um, the KPIs that are most important to me are, the, are my clients' KPIs, right? It's like, 
if they're successful, I'm successful. Of course, we want profitability. We want margins, right? We want all the good things. But I, my KPIs in the automotive industry focus on things like uh, growth rates, right? And then um, market share, revenue, volume, right? So I really, and those are key terms in our industry with things like front and back end gross of a deal or inventory turn, how fast we can turn the inventory as it comes in and goes back out, right? Those kind of things I focus on. So I watch those. Uh, and then, of course, things like price to market and actual cash value. Those are KPIs that determine how much did I buy a car for, at, you know, in the inventory acquisition side and how much can I sell it for? And if I did that right, those two KPIs are measured correctly, then I'm going to make money and keep doing it again. If I do it wrong or inefficiently, eventually I'm going to be in a problem, right? I may be turning inventory, but I'm losing money. Everybody's out, out of business. So I really focus on the efficiency models of our metrics of, you know, inventory turn, profitability, and, and of course, you know, all, uh, all departmental operational efficiencies to make sure they're successful. And if I say focus on that, then they're happy. Our business is growing and we're off that. But the, I guess it, uh, Away from that, the other two big ones is an economist that I look for, or I look at the consumer confidence indexes. I really want to understand how the consumer is feeling. And oddly enough, in this tough market, they've been pretty happy. The future forecast and current day forecast have been right around the 80%, which is pre-pandemic numbers. But it's starting to waver a little bit. I think that UAW strike, we're getting ready to go into political season. Those things can get kind of rough. The consumers are just kind of bracing for that, right? All the negative rhetoric that's going to be coming out pretty soon. And the other things I look at are like, uh, you know, the, the value of the dollar against wages and inflation, right? So if I'm happy and I'm making a little bit more money and there are jobs out there, but inflation's outpacing it, then I know affordability is an issue. And then I'll walk, talk to my dealers about the price points of inventory they want to hold in their stores to make sure that they're matching the consumer's affordability model and they're not overpriced and then losing out on business because they didn't pay attention to the you know, economic metrics too. So that's I think that's where I get a lot of success is I'm an automotive operational consultant. I know that business well, but I'm also an economist. I don't try to be one or the other. I try to marry them so I can teach a dealer how to run their business by looking at economic KPIs as well, not just automotive KPIs. And it works really well. Okay, I love that. I love your passion and that you're bringing together all this knowledge to run your businesses. I think you, you're definitely in the right place. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope so. We, we are running out of time, though. But be before we hop off, what advice would you give to other business owners looking to succeed in your industry? Yeah, I think the biggest one is to be able to break out of your current paradigm and explore new areas of analytics, data, growth. What I found to be probably the most detrimental to people who have had tremendous success in our industry is that the old way is the way I've always done it. And I'm going to keep on trugging along and it's going to keep on working. And look, there's there, there may be some success there, but it's not your best. Right. And conversely, I've seen that not work and people get in real big trouble. So I would ask that they be just open minded, listen to ideas that are new, probably maybe even some that they'd never even considered before. Not that they have to adopt them all, but just be open minded to think about what can I do different? especially since the market's changing, consumers changing and technology's changing that could help me get ahead of the curve. 
because what we try to do with the automotive advisor team is to make sure dealers have a prescriptive lens 30, 60, 90 days out, not a reactive lens where they're trying to fix what they didn't see coming. So I would tell any business owner, be flexible, be nimble, be consistent, take the hits. As long as you're with the right people and have the good people around you and you're uh, you're working towards progress, don't worry about the cuts and bruises that come along because there's plenty that are going to come. Just, you know, continue to grow and get better. Seek out different out counsel and you'll win. Appreciate that. Thank, thank you so much for your insights. And you're thank welcome. you, John, for, for your time and being on the show. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Uh, so, as well. what is the best way for people to reach out to John Ellis? Um, if you've got any advice or offers for them to take advantage of, what's the best way for them yeah, to absolutely. reach? Yeah. So, two things: you don't have to call, you don't have to reach out to me to be a client. I'd love to just talk to you if you want to just hear some more. Uh, www. And I'm gonna make this real simple: the automotive advisor team, singular, the automotive advisor team.com and if you go there there's a couple of forms reach out to us get a demo a calendar contact list so you can just put your email in and we'll get right back to you it's super easy um we'll be glad to just open dialogue and and uh hear from you we'd love to just hear from you okay awesome well thank you so much again um i'm very excited to see what the future holds thank you i appreciate your time